You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the USC Triple Double Podcast with Connor Morissette and Shotgun Spiling. I'm your host, Shotgun Spiling, inviting you into the newest edition of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows. We're excited to have a basketball podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Connor Morissette. Connor, how are we doing today? I'm doing well, Shotgun. Another show on the network with uscfootball.com, the Peristyle. I can't believe it. How many shows we got now? Like 10? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what day is going to be exactly best for this show because we do have so many great shows and we don't want to step all over everyone else. We'll figure that out as we kind of work through our our, our progress here the next couple of weeks. Now, all the Peristyle members know I love covering college hoops. I've been covering the USC men's and women's team since Kevin O'Neill and Michael Cooper were the head coaches. Unfortunately, I don't get to cover as many games now that I'm on the East Coast, East Coast, so I'm excited to get to toss some hoops with Connor this season. That's right. On the USC Triple Double Pod, we'll be breaking down the latest news and developments about the USC basketball program on the men's and women's side. And speaking of the women, we've got a great guest uh, a little bit later. We're going to have Lindsey Gottlieb on. Super excited about that. Now, we've had so much success with the Dato Download podcast, uh, focusing on the baseball program in the spring. We decided it was time for a basketball-only podcast. So we were expanding the horizons of the Peristyle podcast family to include this one as well. It's going to be a similar format to the Dato Download. We had some success. We're not going to mess it up. You know, keep it simple, stupid. Just, you know, keep riding what works. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about, Shotgun, after just 10 days of the season from the highs of opening day in Vegas to the lows of the men losing a bye game to UC Irvine. We'll obviously be talking a lot about the two dynamic freshmen leading their respective programs and also looking at the recruiting classes both programs have signed during the early signing period that began last week. Now, Connor and I are going to break down each team's three-game start and just how everything's played out the last week and a half. We'll look at where the Trojans stand early in the season and preview the upcoming action over the next week. 
But before we get into all of that, similar to the Dato Download episodes we did in the spring, we're going to try to have at least one guest joining us each week. And this week, we've got a big one with USC women's basketball coach Lindsey Gottlieb joining our debut show. Gottlieb's in her third season at the helm of the women of Troy. She was tasked with turning around a once-proud program that struggled to make the NCAA tournament and compete at the top of the Pac-12 for the better part of two decades. Program that had been only one NCAA tournament since 2006 and hasn't won a regular season conference title in nearly 30 years. She's working to turn that around and make that change. The Trojans returned to the NCAA tournament last season for the first time since 2014, going 20-10 overall and finished tied for fourth in the Pac-12. They're looking to build off that tournament appearance despite having to overhaul the roster. Lindsay and her staff brought in seven newcomers, most notably the nation's number one overall recruit, Juju Watkins, and three Ivy League grad transfers that have all been in the starting lineup. Without further ado, we bring in the head coach of the number 10 USC women, Lindsay Gottlieb. Lindsay, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. I didn't realize I was the debut guest. That's very exciting. Um, and just in general, the the support for women's basketball, it really makes a difference as we try to grow this program to get the USC fans and the USC media uh, behind us. It's it's not without um, a lot of gratitude from me and understanding that that's a new step. And so uh, we're really excited about it. Well, we're hoping that you can help you can help us reach some more some of the USC football fans we have obviously yes. on our our network of uh, shows here. We'll get a chance to to hear from you and get excited about women's basketball as well. Uh, watching you guys in Vegas was, was really fun. Obviously, a big upset there. But I have to I have to be frank. I I didn't know that you would be available for an interview with how busy you've been. You know, rising in the polls, closing out top recruiting classes, just overall building a program. And we definitely want to get to that top five recruiting class that you just signed but first we got to talk about this year's team three and oh start including an upset win in las vegas over then number seven ohio state team coming off an elite uh, eight appearance what does a win like that to open the season do for a team especially one with so many new pieces this year i think it was huge it was part of the reason i scheduled the game just opportunity so women's basketball it's it's growing you know, exponentially, but there are not that many games that are on national TV network or allow you the opportunity at a neutral site to take on a top 10 opponent. And so I jumped at the opportunity to do that. Uh, We knew Ohio state was going to be really good. They are really good. Um, You mentioned coming off an elite eight um, appearance and bringing back almost everybody and adding a key transfer. But the one maybe advantage we had is exactly that. Like I wouldn't mess with an elite eight team. So we kind of knew how they were going to play and what they were going to do it allowed us to prepare really well. Um, and our players performed on the on the big stage, which catapults us a little bit because we are a team just trying to gain traction um, and that, you know, added exposure, people seeing, you know, not only how good Juju is, but Rhea had 18 and 17 and, you know, the, the various other players on our team that that can play. I think it gave us some some media attention that that we hope, you know, can help us continue to motivate and be better this year, but grow the program overall. Coach, already to number 10 in the latest AP poll, first time since 1994. Of course, that Ohio State win helped with that. What were your big picture goals coming into the season? And does an early season result like that lead to you maybe thinking a little bit bigger now? So, I mean, I think my vision is really about, you know, the next couple of years, right? Like we want to build one of the elite programs in women's basketball. We ultimately want to win a national championship. We want to be one of those programs where, you know, little girls um, are saying that's where I want to go. Um, so it's all, it's all different steps in that process, but I think, um, you know, really it's just one game, even though it was a significant game, but I think it allows our players to say when we're prepared, um, and when we take advantage of opportunities, really good things can happen. So, you know, we're excited that it's kind of launched us into the top 10, but we understand that, 
you know, that's fleeting if next week doesn't, you know, we don't perform at that level or the week after college basketball just gives you so many tests along the way. Um, but there's no question, you know, our goals are really high for this year. It's, it's interesting. We're 10th in the country. Um, but five of those top 10 are our Pac-12 teams. So, you know, you mentioned we tied for fourth in the league last year. Well, right now we're 10th in the country and fifth in our own league. Uh, so we know that the, the challenges that, that are upcoming are even, uh, greater. So we want to keep getting better. And we do believe the sky is the limit. We want to go as far as we possibly can with this team and compete for a PAC 12 championship and uh, in our last year in the pack and, um, you know, and, and, and really do, do some damage nationally as well. Yeah. It just means there's a lot of opportunities for big marquee wins down the road as well. Big resume boosters, all those type of things. And I know the season's only a, a barely a week old, but you, you mentioned something in the post-game presser um, after you know, the win in Vegas. You talked about how you kind of knew this team could do some special things. Um, just with the way you practiced, the way you kind of went about things. How does this team or, or does this team kind of feel like it could do something special this season? And what makes you think that? I do. I do think so. Um, we just have a, kid, a bunch of a group of young women who are really committed. I mean, we don't we don't coach effort. Um, they come in here ready to go. Um, I, the reason I think we have a chance to do some special things are, is that we I don't even think we've begun to scratch the surface of what we're capable of because we're also new in terms of playing with one another and figuring out, you know, how we can maximize each other's strengths, what we can do rotation wise, what we can do offensively, defensively. So um, that's one thing. Um uh, but, you know, it's a long season and I have to keep my finger on the pulse of how to motivate them, how to keep everyone rowing in the same direction, um, you know, keep raising the standards. Um, you know, now we tell them, OK, we're four top 10 team. We've got to practice like a top five team to get better. Um, and so we keep raising the bar and, and challenging them. But I do think you kind of know when when you're a coach, if you have something unique um, and special. And I do think the chemistry that we have and. Uh, the type of people we have in that locker room are really uh, locked in on, on doing some big things here. Coach, it's been one year since Juju Watkins committed to USC. One player, of course, doesn't change everything, but how did her commitment change the trajectory of the program for you? Um, I mean, I think it's as significant as any one player going to any one school in a very, very, very long time. Um, you know, those of us who are within the USC family you know, it sounds crazy to say it took a lot of courage to come here. I mean, this is an incredible school, right? Like it's the Disneyland of college athletics. Like we have great facilities and walking around campus. I mean, it's an unbelievable place. But when you think about women's college basketball, there have been so few teams that have sort of dominated, right? And if a couple teams get all the media attention. So for a player of that caliber, it takes courage to say, no, I'm not going to do the easy thing and almost guarantee myself a chance to go to Final Four. I'm going to do the thing that is a little bit different and more bold. Um, and I think Juju taking that step to say, I want to stay at home. I want to impact USC women's basketball, the USC campus, but also the the larger community um, uh, of Los Angeles and do it for my city was really uh, pretty courageous. And everything we thought could happen has started to happen, right? She's generational talent. She's also like, she's very necessary, right? Like she's, she's cool in the culture. She brings other people along with her. She's has a gravitational pull to her. So um, I, I think all of these things impact greater than just her talent or her abilities, um, you know, which are significant, but it also, I think has impacted our ability to kind of be more on the map. And as you've seen, uh, I think there are other players that we've been able to recruit that want to win. Um, and they're, they're drawn to something that they believe is a movement um, and they want to play with Juju and with the other players that we have. So I do think that the, the impact has been, um, you know, exponential. 
Great players want to play with great players. That's always yeah. always uh, what you, you hear. Uh, with athletes like Caleb Williams, Juju Watkins, Isaiah Collier, and Bronny on the other side, those those people are put on a pedestal, whether it be on social media, whether it be you know everyone around them. And that can be negative, positive and negative. But outside of coaching Juju just on, on the basketball court, how do you balance working with her on, on managing that outside noise? Um, I mean – her grace with all of that is pretty phenomenal. The first thing is she has a, she has an incredible and a small circle around her. Uh, her family is uh, really unique and special in terms of um, just setting her up to be successful, right. And letting her be juju and thrive in the ways that she can thrive. But uh, I mean, she is so likable that it makes a lot of things easier. Um, you know, I've told the story, we had a, a communication specialist just coming to meet uh, with each of our players individually on their own media training and speaking ability. And so they had individual meetings and, and she reported to me that she asked each person, Hey, you know, what's it like to play with Juju? Cause they're all going to get that question at some point. And she was so genuinely moved at how authentically the other players on the team were like gushing about Juju, about her game, about she, her as a person. And, and so that piece of it, how likable she is and how genuine she is, I think makes a lot of the other stuff, easier, right? Like our, it, her impact on our locker room has only been positive, which is great. In terms of her other stuff, you know, it's a new era of college athletics. I've I've never had to schedule around, you know, a player who has a national Nike commercial they have to film. You know, <laughs> how cool is that? But that, but I'm, that's what I wanted, right? We want to give them opportunities just the same way I would work around a player who had a law school interview or, you know, some other job thing, right? Like Juju has unique opportunities and nothing she does, she's ever going to put kind of in front of the team. Um, but for me to work with her and manage that is part of it, which is really cool, I think. And, um, you know, we work together and we make sure that that she's able to do her individual things and that, um, you know, we get the team things together and it's been nothing but positive. Coach, we got to get into the recruiting class for next year. Kennedy Smith and Juju had some epic high school battles. I was lucky enough to be there for some of them. And now they're both going to be on your team a year from now. Are they friends? Are they rivals? And how excited are you to have two of the top players in Southern California be on your program? Well, I was at a lot of those games too. Uh, so no one's more excited than than me. Um there's no doubt about it. They are friends. They are now teammates. Juju was hugely involved in helping to recruit Kennedy. Um, I mean, they're both two incredible competitors. And ultimately, you know, I think, well, first of all, they completely bonded, you know, on the various visits uh, when when Kennedy was here unofficially and officially. But, you know, ultimately, I think they both said like, hey, you know, like the competitor stuff is from high school. Like, let's team up where, you know, where it really matters and, and do some amazing things. And both for the city and for the university. So it's been, it's been great. And and for me to think about um, having, you know, those two type of athletes and players and competitors and winners on the court at the same time is, is really, really exciting. What kind of message do you think that sends to other recruits in Southern California? Obviously there's a hotbed of talent. There's always feels like always a top 10 player to be able to nab the number one player last year. And now uh, the top player in California, uh, a top 10 player this year. I, I think they are both changing the narrative. They are the ones who are impacting, um, you know, how the direction of women's college basketball is going to go. I mean, quite simply, I don't think that that overstates it. And I talked with both of them about, you know, for them to to choose us over, you know, these other traditional powers, I think they've made it easier or made it different for kids that are coming up, you know, one, two, three, four, five years from now, won't know anything other than, 
well, hey, if I can go to USC, of course I want to go to USC. They won't have to be like, oh, I'm going to bypass this or that. Like, no, they're making this the, the place to be quite literally um, with their choices. And I, I think that's, um, like I said, takes courage. It takes, you know, you have to want to be the ones, right? You don't, you don't, can't be people who want to follow the ones, right? And so I think they're changing the perception of USC and changing the landscape of women's college basketball. What are your thoughts on the class overall? Kaylee Heckel seems like a really exciting player. She'll have plenty of talent to distribute the ball to what a loaded class. Yeah. I mean, I could not be more excited. I can finally talk about it. Um, I think this class has everything. Uh, the most important thing is I think we have, you know, people that, that really want to impact winning. Um, I mean, Avery Howell was as tough as a competitor, uh, as I saw on the circuit. I mean, she led all circuits, I think in rebounding as a, as a guard. Right. Um, uh, and, and, uh, you know, Ryan, um, was the first to commit just new from, from jump. Um, you know, she comes from a, a club program that's been in national championship games. Like, Hey, how can I be a part of something that's on the upward trajectory? So th- I think this class has athleticism. It has versatility. It has skill. I think we're going to be able to enter the big 10 and bring a roster like none other in that, in that league. And that's something we were trying to do. Um, and, and just incredible students, incredible young women and kids that are really hoopers and are going to allow us to play a modern brand of basketball where there's a lot of fluidity. Yeah. It seemed like one of the things that that you valued in this recruiting class was the versatility, you know, People aren't just shooters. They aren't just scorers or slashers or defenders. They do a little bit of everything. And it seems like everyone in that class can rebound in particular. Um, yes. How much do you value versatility? And you know, how do you kind of, you know, how, when you're out on the recruiting trail, how do you identify that? So I think I value it now more in my career than ever before. Um, like if you look at our team now, uh, you know, in, in playing in Ohio State who presses, I know this sounds you know, simple, but to have multiple players who can shoot, pass and dribble on the court at once makes life a lot easier. It really does. Like, I mean, it doesn't mean that like a role player who's good at really one thing is not valued in certain areas, but it's hard to trap or press if you can just swing it to the next person who can make the next right play. Obviously my time in the NBA, everyone can do that, right? You can't be in that league unless you have kind of multiple skill sets. And so um, I, I do think, you know, looking at that versatility as you, as you watch on the circuit, we try and look for who can bring, you know, whose qualities translate to the next level. Like there are some really good players out there who could maybe score 20 or, or 25 in a, in a club game. But if they're not going to do that for you, or if they're not going to be that person for you, what else can they bring? Right. And that's hard. Sometimes someone who can do one thing really well, or a couple things really well at the next level is really what you're looking for. Um, so yeah, we, 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 it was a mix of different, you know, types of times of seeing people, but we we wanted people who would just fit the way that we want to play. And I know as as football people, uh, you're probably familiar with Laura Williams and, and her dad, Doug Williams, the great uh, say quarterback, first um, ever uh, African American quarterback to play in and win a Super Bowl. So it was neat to spend some time with him. But Laura's a phenomenal athlete with a huge upside. So we're bringing people from all over the country and all all types of people and players. We're really excited. She'll she'll fit right in with uh, being the the. Uh child of a, a former athlete. You know, there seems to be a couple of those around USC right now. Just a handful. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, how much did your Ivy League experience and knowledge of the type of players in the league lead you to mining the transfer portal for three Ivy League grad transfers who are three starters on the team so far? I mean, I think it was definitely a factor. So we, you know, as we build this program, 
like we knew it's going to be a balance of bringing in recruits and bringing in older experienced players through the portal. Um, and so we went into last off season doing a ton of research on everyone in the portal, just because someone's leaving another program or has big stats, doesn't make them the right fit. We really wanted to do the research. Obviously we were aware that um, the Ivy league does not allow you to do the extra COVID year there. It's just, they can't return. So there's such a unique thing about our three in that, you know, they all graduated from these programs. They all have great relationships with their former coaches. I could talk to their former coaches, you know, in the recruiting process, a little different. No, there was no saltiness on anyone's end. And so um, it allowed us to really, I think, scour the portal and find the right people for us that we want to go after. And our three Ivy League kids all fit in various different ways. Did I have more of a knowledge of them, you know, because I follow the Ivy League and because I played in it? I think so. I mean, I, um, I, I, I was following Ivy league scores and games when I was an NBA, probably the only person, you know, watching to see what happens in the Penn Princeton game. Um, so I was aware of them. I was like coach Mackenzie Forbes before I saw Caleb Padilla on the circuit. Caitlin was kind of the newest one to me, but I just had so much respect for how Columbia turned their program around. So they were all uniquely valuable to us in different ways. Um, and we certainly didn't only recruit them because they're from the Ivy league, but I think those connections helped us feel like they were the best fits. And we had to really go after them and recruit them because they were very coveted. Hey, Coach, I'm all about that Penn-Princeton uh, rivalry now being in South New Jersey. So and I'm, I'm there with you. I, I'm following along as Good. well. But, uh, Coach, thanks so much for the time, Lindsay. We really appreciate you being our debut guest. You know, we, we'll make sure that uh, everyone knows that as they go forward. But you gotta, you got to follow up with, with what Lindsay did. So now uh, we'll, we'll see if everyone can keep, continue to raise the bar, just like you guys are doing so far for the women of Troy. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the Triple Double Podcast. Thanks for having me. And I, and I do think, you know, if this is a chance to get USC sports fans who haven't come to a women's basketball game or are interested, but haven't come out yet. I just, I'm telling you, I think we play an exciting brand of basketball. These, these women are, you know, deserve your support in a, in a packed house. And, and hopefully we're growing our fan base one podcast at a time. And one freshman that has scored 85 points in her first three in her first eight days in college basketball, not too you shabby. You never know what's going to happen in that gym. <laughs> I mean, she's that She's that spectacular. Um, so, yeah, we should come on out to see uh, Juju and her teammates. Well, we look forward to talking to you about her and uh, some of the other players throughout the season. Thank you so much for taking the time. With that, we're going to jump into our break, and then we'll be back with Connor and I taking a little bit deeper look at the start of the season for the women of Troy as well as the USC men. And then we'll look take a look forward at the upcoming matchups for the next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome back from the break. Make sure you're checking out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Give us those five stars, baby. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them into podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple double or the basketball pod or shotgun and Connor in the headline to make sure it gets directed at us. Now, before we jump into our normal segments that we're going to have, recapping last week, looking forward, Connor, what stood out to you from our interview with Lindsay Gottlieb? Just how well she's done rebuilding the program so quickly and how exciting or how excited she is about not only this season, of course, but the recruiting class that she just signed this week. I mean, looking ahead to next season, and this season's going to be special, but I could see the team potentially being in that national title conversation a year from now. And so... I, I think that's a testament to what Lindsay's done and her excitement for the program. It's really awesome. That that was sort of my big picture takeaway. And of course, beating Ohio State and what that means for this season was huge too. Juju, everything she said about her was awesome. But the big picture stuff, that gets me the most excited. I mean, I think what stood out is the realization and maybe even the humility to admit what Juju Watkins means to a program. Um, you know, not every coach wants to say, yeah, one player significantly changes everything. You know, oh, we can build it. We'll piece it together. You know, the the coach speak that you may hear, but her saying it's as significant as one player going to any school in a very, very, very long time. I mean, that that day, I was like, oh, okay, we're going to admit that. You know, not every coach wants to admit that. We'll admit that. We'll say that. For her to admit it, I, I thought really stood out and kind of shows you know who she is as a coach. You know, doesn't need the credit as long as they're winning. It, it seems like that that kind of lends that to itself. They're off to a great start. The women of Troy are 3-0. Like you mentioned, that Ohio State win. Ohio State was number seven. They beat them by nine points. Really took care of the ball, even though there's a bunch of turnovers in the game. Took care of the ball, and that was the difference to me. I mean, Juju went off and was fantastic, 32 points. But the fact that they handled Ohio State's press and the Ohio State coach being upset with his own team after the game, we didn't, we didn't, that's not our press. That's not what we do. You know, the fact that USC can bring up the ball with Kayla Padilla, they can bring up the ball with Juju Watkins, they can bring up the ball with McKenzie Forbes, they can bring the ball up with Kaylin Davis. Four different players that you could feel confident bringing the ball up really was kind of eye opening to me to, because I didn't know too much about the grad transfers coming in from the Ivy League. So I thought that was uh, really notable there. And then USC takes care of business with a couple of home games. Florida Gulf Coast winning 67-51. LeMoyne, you know, they move into the top 10. LeMoyne, they take care of business like a top 10 team. Winning by 51, 93-42. to And then the men's side, great start as well until Tuesday night. Uh, you know, they in Vegas as well. Great event out there. Getting a chance to see Pac-12 had a fantastic day with four wins. USC finishes it off. The USC men beating Kansas State 82-69. Now Kansas State a little bit. Uh, light-handed or short-handed, excuse me, a little light uh, on the roster in that game because of a suspension, because of an injury. But USC takes care of business, and then they play at home against Cal State Bakersfield, dominate them, eighty-five fifty-nine. But then lose to UC Irvine when USC was 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 short-handed um, on Tuesday. What kind of stood out to you uh, uh, from you know just 
those those six games, what's kind of been the biggest biggest takeaways you have? And we'll do it in triple-double format, Connor. Let's get three positives, two negatives from each of us. We'll start with the women. What are your three positives for the women's games, you know, those three wins that they've started out with? Well, you have to start with Juju Watkins as the big positive. Hearing Lindsey Gottlieb talk not only to us, but in some of her post-game comments just about how Juju is even better than she expected and how talented she is. I mean, averaging 28 points and, and seven rebounds, shooting over 60% from three. It's a short sample size right now, but I expect her to be well over 20 points per game. I think she'll probably settle down into like 25 points per game. And just the fact that everyone kind of knew she was going to be ready for the big stage and ready for college, but it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to see it. So my big first positive on the women's side has to be Juju. Do you want to go back and forth with these shotguns, or do you want me just to yeah, go? Let's, let's, let's go back and forth. I mean, because I also have Juju Ballin uh, <laughs> as mine. That is her, I think, Twitter handle. So uh, she's been fantastic. I mean, the fact that when you surpass the names, Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Miller, in your opening game, uh, says something for sure. Um, and to follow it up, you know, it wasn't just one big game. You know, two games later, she puts up uh, 35 against LeMoyne and so efficient getting the 35 points, six of eight on three-pointers in that game. So, yeah, she's fourth in the nation right now in scoring 28.3 points per game. Uh, she's been absolutely phenomenal, and she's not forcing anything. I think that's been the mo- most notable thing that me is watching her is – you know, she doesn't look like a freshman. She doesn't feel it doesn't feel like, hey, she's just trying to get shots up. It's been an efficient shooting. She's feeding her teammates. Um, that combination with her and Rhea Marshall, that's fun to watch for sure. But yeah, Juju Ballin has been fantastic. So I had that one on my list as well. And then I also had uh number two for me was act like a top 10 team. They move in the top 10 rankings, first time since 1994 that USC's women are in the top 10. And they go out and play like it. They didn't have a letdown. They didn't have, oh, there's some more pressure now. They just kept doing what they've been doing. I think that's a little bit of the product of those those grad transfers as well, to the experience they have, the grit that they have, and the size and toughness. And LeMoyne comes in, and USC might get reported to PETA because there was some, you know, some uh some animal rights issues with the dolphins you know just beating up on the dolphins in there you know, clubbing baby seals and bashing dolphins uh the lemoyne dolphins so i i thought it was really good for them to come out and act like a top 10 team with a team that doesn't have that experience that hasn't been in that position before their first game they really looked looked good definitely and one last thing on juju she's just gonna have turnovers because she's such a high usage player so some people might see the five turnovers against ohio state and a few of those okay would you like to have them back maybe but she reminds me, and I think she could be even better than like Russell Westbrook was in his prime for, for USC this season, just like someone who's going to do everything and just the turnovers are going to come when you have the ball in your hands that much. My second positive, so Rhea Marshall, 16 points, nine rebounds. She's averaging right now. She's, of course, second best player on the team. That's a big positive. But you mentioned it, Chuck, and the partnership of your two best players. It looks like they've been playing together for a little bit, and Juju, of course, is new. So you need that dynamic duo. You talk about in basketball, the big three, but right now it's sort of changed into whoever your two best players are. That really makes a big difference. And the fact that Juju and Rhea are able to play so well together already, that's huge. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, it's been fun to watch them. Rhea has been one of my favorite players to watch for a couple of years. And she had no support two years ago. Um, so it's great to see her having that support. I am disappointed in her. She did not get a block. 
So that's actually, I'll get to that in a minute in my negatives, but uh, she didn't get a block against uh, against LeMoyne to, to snap a long-time streak there. Uh, before we get to that, my final positive, uh, how could you not be positive about Aaliyah Gales being back on the court? Phenomenal scene. Uh, fortunately, we didn't get to talk to Lindsey Gottlieb about it. You know, that's something we'll definitely talk to her about in the future. Uh, but, you know, I was there in Vegas, so her first time suiting up back in her hometown, back where she was shot, uh, you know, I think it was 18 bullet holes is what, you know, they said that she had after uh, the, the incident, broken bones, stuff shattered, couldn't walk, all these type of things. To see her back on the court was just phenomenal. And then for her to get in the last couple of games um, it has been great to see as well. Uh, and just to see the, the support from her teammates. Um, you know, in that that Vegas press conference after the game was very emotional for for everyone that was sitting up there. Uh, Lindsey Gottlieb was fighting back tears. Um, Leah Gales did have tears, and Rhea Marshall's got her arm around her the entire time. And then when she goes in and plays against Florida Gulf Coast, the, she's the one that holds the ball at the end of the game and runs out the clock on the final possession. And Rhea Marshall is the first one to run over, and you know she jumps into her arms, type of thing. So see that that connection that they have uh, in the teammates and Aaliyah Gales is such a, a vibrant personality. You can see it anytime she's around. Uh, so it was great to see her back on the court, just a, a phenomenal scene and looking forward to see what she can eventually do when she's, I mean, she's still working her way back, uh, but she's able to get on the court now, but in the future, you know, what can she do as the point guard for USC and potentially her running the point with Juju Watkins beside her and Ray Marshall down low. And then you're adding those other pieces and stuff like you talked about uh, next year as well. What a great comeback story. I think that's so awesome. Everything you said there. And yeah, what is the potential of Aaliyah Gales look like when she is fully healthy and that, that what does that do to affect the team? My last positive shotgun. I mentioned it when we talked about the Gottlieb interview after that first break, the momentum of the program right now, it's just mm. on an upward climb. And you talked about looking like a top 10 team. They certainly have this past week. I just go back to that recruiting class. Like Kennedy Smith, I don't think is quite as good as Juju Watkins, but she is amazing as a basketball player. And the fact that they're going to be on the same team next year is incredible. I can't wait for next season. This season, of course, has to play out first. And I think the sky's the limit for this team, too. We talked a lot about the Pac-12 being good, and we'll hit on that soon. But but next year, I, I think that you kind of talk about Lincoln Riley and football a little bit, like once you get all your guys, what does it look like? I think mm -hmm. next year, Lindsey Gottlieb will have all of her recruits, and it's going to be a really special program. It definitely is definitely trending in the right direction, that's for sure, um, and in the very least. Let's move to the positives, I mean, to the negative side. So that was our triple. Now we get to the double. I got two two negatives. I already mentioned it. Rhea Marshall's block streak ended. I think it was at 53 games coming in. Um, she only played like 17 minutes because they were dominating LeMoyne. Uh, but it was disappointing to see such a long streak that has gone spanning three seasons now uh, come to an end. I'm sure she'll start up another one and you know get one through the rest of the season. But uh, she's been so such a integral part to this program and kind of holding it together. Uh, under Lindsey Gottlieb, since Lindsey Gottlieb has arrived, that you want to see her continue those type of things. And so to see that in was a little bit disappointing. I don't know how much it's going to matter right now, but when USC plays better opponents, who's going to be the third scorer? Taylor Bigby, is it Kayla Padilla, Caitlin Davis? There's a lot of players in that mix for the number three scoring option after Juju and Ray. I think the team is still kind of figuring that out. So I don't know if that's a big negative right now. They're 3-0, top 10 in the country, doing a lot of things well. But when, but when things get a little tougher in the future, 
I'd be interested to see who develops into that third score for USC. Yeah, it'll be interesting with Padilla. You know, she led the Ivy League in scoring last year. She's not really done much so far. I mean, between Mackenzie Forbes, Kayla Padilla, and Caitlin Davis, the three Ivy League transfers, in nine total games, three for each of them, there's only been one double-figure scoring effort, and that was McKinsey Forbes scoring 11 points against Ohio State. So um, I, I think those guys are gonna they're, they're gonna break out. Still, uh, they'll have their opportunities, and I think maybe it, it becomes a rotation or a sharing of that third uh, between them. Taylor Bigby is not afraid to come in and get her shot up uh, off the bench, and so she gives you that element coming off. And then you add in Dominique Onu. Um, you know, she didn't play the first couple games and then she comes in, she scores nine in her first game in 15 minutes against Lemoyne. So that's another option that could be coming off the bench. And then there's also Kayla Williams. You know, she has not played yet this season. We didn't get a chance to check in on her either, but you know, the UC Irvine transfer, can she be a knockdown shooter for you? Last year, she struggled with that mightily. That was her reputation coming in from UC Irvine. Um, if they can get her going, I mean, Juju draws so much attention and then you can't leave the paint because of what Rhea can do. And then what, you know, Caitlin Davis and Mackenzie Forbes can do. So if she gets on the court, can she be that knockdown shooter in the corner for you that can, you know, consistently light you up uh, or light up an opponent? So those are all things, still some things to be worked out, obviously. And we'll see. They'll have plenty of chances, plenty of opportunities, as we mentioned, uh, with the with how good the Pac-12 is going to be this year for big-time ball games. So it may be a rotation, and we'll see how that goes as, as the season progresses. My second negative was Colorado Thunder Steelers. You know, USC opening opening day. They open the day at 11 a.m. on uh, in the Pacific uh, time zone with a big win over Ohio State. There's not many ranked matchups. I think there was there's three, or maybe it was only two, and both of them were in Vegas. And you think, oh, USC's going to get all the headlines. Juju's going to get all the headlines, and then Colorado comes and just wallops the defending national champion LSU, which again tells you how good the Pac-12 could be this year. Five teams in the top 10 right now. So USC is like, hey, you're in the top 10. You're fifth in your conference, as Lindsay put it. So, uh, you know, they got a lot of work to do for sure. But uh, that was a little disappointing just to see on the national level, USC's Thunder get stolen a little bit by Colorado. But they were fantastic. That was a, a great game. They, they play some great team ball. Uh, so uh, they should be a fun matchup against USC as well. That's a good point. It looks like LSU is having some issues overall after that game. So, that's certainly something to follow. I get the interesting thing of the transfer portal. You know, they obviously they defended as champions, brought back pretty much everybody, uh, and then they go in the transfer portal and get the biggest names: Anissa Murrow uh, from DePaul, who USC was in on and was one of their finalists, goes there, as well as Haley Van Lith from Louisville, two of the biggest names, two of the top five probably names, uh, transfer portal names this offseason to get those two. And then I think it was Michaela Williams, I believe is her name. Uh, The freshman, I think she put up 42 the other night. And Angel Reese doesn't play in the second half. Coach calls it a coach's decision. So they're working some things out for sure. And they got a Hall of Fame coach in Kilmulkey. So we'll see how it kind of develops for them as they return to being the team to beat. Because going in on paper, you look at it and you go like, "I I don't know how anybody beats this team. Their starting five was just... I looked at that starting five. I was like, "Whoa! I don't see anybody beating this team this year." But when you play the game on the court, not on the, on on paper, so that'll be one to to keep an eye on for sure. Something definitely off there. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, we'll we'll have to see what happens. My other negative and good point by you, Shotgun. Too bad Colorado did have that 
the big win, but Juju still got a lot of the spotlight and that was great to see, but you're right. What would have happened if it was just business as usual and LSU had won. So my other negative, it's a small sample size, but the free throw shooting Juju is under 70% right now. Ray Marshall, not great at free throw shooting. She's somewhere in the sixties as a team, they're 60% on the year. When the lights get a little brighter and impact 12 play, I think Juju is going to be a lot better at the free throw line. So I don't anticipate this being a long-term thing, but when it gets kind of tougher here, that's obviously huge foul shooting. And that's going to be something to watch as we go along here. Yeah. Interesting. And, and I think Juju such a primetime player, uh, you know, Ohio state, she shot nine of 10, the other two games, four of nine. So maybe that has something to do with it too. As the lights get brighter, it might be better for her, uh, but the rest of the team, I mean, they're shooting 60% on the season. So gr- great point there as well. What about on the men's side? Let's start with the positives. What you got in your triple for, for the men. It looks great when everyone's available. Against Kansas State, <laughs> they had that uh, little run the Wildcats did in the second half that, that made it close, but USC really played a complete game in that one, and when everyone is healthy and can play, and, and we haven't even seen Bronny yet, but when everyone besides him has been good so far this year, it's been only one game, it looked really, really good. So that's encouraging. You just got to hope that everyone is healthy as we get closer to league play. And, and USC, the non-conference for the men, like it's Brown on Sunday, and then it's those two games – on Thanksgiving and the day after, which are against power five opponents, but they're just not playing a ton of games overall in December. And I, I hope everyone is healthy by the time it gets to uh to pack 12 play, because I think the men do have a chance to have a special season, but we saw what can happen when you don't have everyone healthy the other night, it might not always be pretty. Yeah. I've got health concerns in my negatives. They had a damn good looking uh, starting five on the bench, basically, uh, you know, the, the backcourt you had with Bronny and, and Kobe Johnson and Boogie Ellis, that can win you a lot of games uh, all on the bench together in sweats, though, the other day. So the fact that it all is one position, too, definitely hurt them. You know, they had to do a, a ton of rejiggering of of the lineups and stuff. They had to play four bigs. You got DJ Robin playing the two at some points in that game. You got, you know, guys that should normally be playing the four are playing the two. You got guys that should be playing the five or playing the three, you know, and then guarding smaller guys. And that's part of the reason why I think you saw some of those guards for UC Irvine go off because, you know, they can get by the bigger bodied uh, guys. And, you know, the other guard, Ozias Sellers had to change roles. He was not just shooting anymore. He was bringing the ball up, playing some point guard, doing a lot of different things. So, you know, they, it, it was rough to watch uh, on, on Tuesday, but learning lesson, take away from it. It's not necessarily the RPI killer that, you know, a loss like Florida Gulf Coast was last year. Um, and USC was able to overcome that, still make it to the NCAA tournament. But you can learn from it. UC Irvine has a chance to compete in the Big West. They could be, you know, the team to beat. They were picked fourth. But, uh, you know, I think they're they're one of the more experienced teams in that league. So we'll see how they do. So can you learn from it when you lose a game like that? If you can learn from it, then it can be a, a good lesson. It can be a, a valuable loss for you early in the season. But we'll see how they do. Back to the positives, though. One of the best backcourts in the nation. Now, I mentioned they had a great backcourt on the bench the other day, but let's switch out Bronny, put Isaiah Collier in the, there. When those three guys have been healthy, like they were on uh, Saturday or in the opener against Kansas State, Isaiah Collier with Boogie Ellis and Kobe Johnson, man, what fun is that group? I mean, Kobe Johnson looks like he's taking his game another step up on the offensive side. You know, fantastic defense, still trying to get. 
uh, a little bit more defense. There always will be trying to get a little bit more defense out of Boogie Ellis, a little bit more defense out of Isaiah Collier. Those guys are going to run things on the offensive end. If you get a little bit of defense from them, then that even goes. I thought Boogie played really well defensively the, the first two games compared to where it was maybe at two years ago when he got to USC. So one of the best backcourts in the nation, potentially. And in the NCAA tournament, a lot of times, Teams that go on runs have really good backcourts. So seeing those three play together was really fun in the opener. Now let's can we get it back to seeing it again with these health issues? Obviously, we haven't seen it since because Kobe Johnson's been out for a couple games. I think it was with a knee injury, is what was said. And then Boogie Ellis rolled his ankle. Isaiah Collier, you know, uh, Andy Enfield said did not practice basically until the day before Tuesday's game and only play didn't even go through a full practice. So they've been beat up. And that's a concern for sure. You know, I mentioned it's health concerns, but that's one of my negatives. But that's a concern because this team hasn't practiced together a bunch. The preseason, they had a bunch of guys in and out. You had Aaronson Page with Mono. You had Brandon Gardner in and out. You had Vince Iwachukwu out with the back injury. So, you know, getting those guys back in and then obviously with Bronny. So they haven't had a chance to fully mesh. So how long does that take? Can they can they get that going before some of these marquee games that they have in the non-conference, because that's what's going to determine your seeding. You can play really well in the Pac-12 and do well enough and still make the tournament, but if you lose more games like you did against UC Irvine, then you can't. You're going to be stuck in that five to eight range or five to ten range where you're play, playing a one-two seed in the second game. And that's not you know one-two-three seed something like that. So you don't want that. You want to be able to be facing the eight seed yourself. It should be the number one seed. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what USC can do uh, to try to come together as a unit. What, what else I, for you on the positive side? I, I do think just quickly to respond to you in a best case scenario, if it does take them a while to get everyone on the same page and a while to get connected, I do think that they would be a great team to pull off a, an upset if they do have to settle for a seed that maybe some people didn't anticipate if it clicks a little bit later on, but don't want to get ahead of ourselves here on November 16th. My second positive shotgun Harrison Hornery has taken a step forward in my opinion and looks like a guy who USC not only will rely on in these non-conference games but a guy who's going to come off the bench maybe start some games against Pac-12 teams against better opponents he out of that Kajani Wright um, Oziah Sellers Harrison Hornery just guys who were here who have been on the roster for a couple years returning who's taking that step I, I look at Harrison Horner he kind of single-handedly willed USC back into that UC Irvine game the four-point play was awesome I know on defense he doesn't move around fantastically but he he can provide a spark on the offensive side a, a shooter like him who's tall that's really worth a lot and and I think it's been a very short uh start to the season here but he, he looks like a guy who's going to contribute when the lights get a little brighter he brings some toughness too. I mean, that's something yeah. that they lack, to be honest, uh, with the post play. Um, so he's got five blocks already. That's surprising. I think he had three on Tuesday. So getting some extended minutes, partly because of the injuries and stuff. But what role does he end up having? That'll be a question. I had him, Harrison Hornery, stepping up as one of my positives as well. Um, you know, when he goes in there, you know, we've seen him be able to knock down some threes, and they're going to need that because right now no one else is shooting very well from three-point range. He's leading the team right now at 38.5%, which is not 
a great number for your, your team leader. Um, but he can give you a little bit of different things. He can give you some toughness. He can give you a little bit of rebounding. Uh, he's going to throw his body around there. He can give you some fouls. And I think he's leading or second in the team in fouls as well. Like he's when he goes in there and he's got limited minutes and he knows he's going to have limited minutes, he's like, all right, I'm not, no one's getting a free bucket down here. That's something they need. They need that kind of, uh, not necessarily an enforcer, but a guy that's not going to give away any freebies. Um, so, you know, he provides something that I don't think any of the other bigs really do. And so besides the shooting, so it, it good to see him step up and, you know, when he had his opportunity in that game and make the most of it. And that's something he's done in the past too. You know, the nine points he scored uh, last year, I can't remember who the opponent was, but really dug him out of that game as too, as well. So if he can come in and knock down a couple threes for you on the outside. Now the question is going to be, can he be that guy that plays 10, 15 minutes but he gets two shots a game and he can hit one of the two. Like that's a tough role to have. It's much easier when you're in the flow of the game, you're playing 25 minutes and being able to, uh, you know, knock down some shots then when you're doing it, but Hey, we're going to throw you in there. You're going to be spotting up in the corner. Isaiah Carter is going to draw a bunch of attention. Boogie else is going to swing it to you on the secondary pass. Can you knock down that shot? You're not going to give me any opportunities, but can you knock it down? So can he be that guy or can Isaiah Sellers be that? Who can be the guy that's going to be, you know, that, second pass option off of Isaiah Collier creating you get the the you know the drive the dish the rotation of the defense can the second guy knock down the three that's why you need multiple shooters on the outside so we'll see where Harrison Warnery's role kind of in lands as the season continues to progress right now he'd be my pick to fill that role that you mentioned and you're right Chuck and it's hard last year against UCLA on the road he had the nice performance to get them back into that game it's just tough getting those opportunities. And I think the better he plays, he's a guy who could show Andy Enfield, Hey, I need to be playing a role, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's me playing a little bit more than that, maybe even starting a game here or there. So he's certainly a player to watch my final positive. I know he didn't play the best game the other night, but in my opinion, Isaiah Collier, he's fit right in. And you know how sometimes you have these highly touted freshmen and early in their careers, it's like, okay, like I can kind of see why they were ranked so high, but they just don't really fit in right now. And, and mm-hmm. they need to adjust. He is ready and playing really, really good basketball. I do think his knee injury negatively affected him in the UC Irvine game. And a few of the turnovers that he had, he's just better than the guys on the team in some instances. <laughs> and he's playing at a different pace. So like he'll do something. And then the big guy down low, whether it's Josh Morgan or Kajani Wright, Collier will hit him with a great pass and then it'll just clank off their hands because they weren't expecting such a great play from, from Collier. So I, I think he looks really good. And as he gets healthy and, and gets more familiar with everyone, I think he's going to take a massive jump this season. And I'm so happy that he has fit in so well, because I think there's a lot of pressure on these guys, these five-star guys, the one and done types. Look at Jared McCain at Duke. People on Twitter are already talking about, oh, if his three's not falling, Duke's going to have someone else come in off the bench and he's going to be replaced for the rest of the season you sort of either have it or you don't sometimes and Collier clearly has it. Yeah. He's been really good. I mean, the assist to turnover numbers don't look great. When you look at the stat sheet, 12 assists, 17 turnovers, but how many assists would he have had if USC made (laughs) shots on Tuesday? And then also then the possession is over. It doesn't have, there's not a chance for more turnover. And like you said, I thought the same thing in the Kansas state game, he had six turnovers in that game. But if you go back and like dissect each of the six turnovers, You'd be like, oh, okay, maybe like two of those are bad decisions. Like sometimes it's just throwing a pass and it's not being caught type of thing. There's a couple others where it was just 
uh, kind of bad luck the way it, it came out. So the decision making has been good, not great. Um, you know, still obviously things that he can clean up, um, but for sure he, he's he's a bull when he cut, when he goes to the rim and he creates so much for everybody else. And everyone's going to have to catch up. You got to play catch up, and you got to do it quicker. And that's the issue with guys missing so much time being in and out of the lineup in the preseason during the practice sessions, like him and Vince Iwachukwu. Like he throws a pass to Vince. Like how many times has Vince actually caught a pass from him? It's not in the thousands yet. It's in the hundreds. So, you know, those are the type of things. So where's he move? Where's Vince moved? Where's Isaiah? Okay. Where do I need to move to be spaced out from Isaiah when he goes to the bass? All those type things are going to be a learning process. And those are the things you want to get done in the spring. I mean, in the, in the summer and in the fall, but USC's had multiple issues with those type of things. One, the Bronny thing sapped three or four practices. They went to on the trip and they lose a couple more practices there. Uh, now they got a couple extra practices because of, and a couple of games because of that summer trip, but it has been very disjointed. And that's one of the issues that, you know, talking with some of the people around the program, they've said they're playing catch up a little bit from where they would like to be at right now. They feel like they're behind a little bit of schedule just because of so many people being in and out of the lineup. So they got to get everyone healthy, got to get everyone playing and practicing as much as possible. But one of my final positive was seeing one of those guys back on the floor, seeing Vinci Wichuku back on the floor on Tuesday, didn't really do much in the game. Didn't play a ton of minutes. I think he played 10 minutes, one for three, scored his first basket of the, of the season, got a couple rebounds, three on the offensive end, so that's a positive for him. But still looked very rusty, as to be expected. But to see him back on the floor is huge. He's the one that needs the most time. He needed to be the guy that was on every, uh, you know, every Drew League game, every, you know, any pickup game at the LA Fitness. What He just needs more and more and more playing time. So, for him to be out for all the offseason with a back surgery, well, it was really disappointing there. But to see him back on the floor is a big positive because he could take off. You know, he has the potential to just take off as it clicks. And, you know, the more time he's on the court, the the better that that's going to uh, – the more likely that's going to happen for him going forward. Yeah, the, the challenge with him is the rust is evident, and that's to be expected, like you said. But there's only – so many games here he can be rusty and he can adjust eventually they're going to need him and i hope when they do need him he's healthy and he can contribute because you're so right shotgun i mean the potential seven footer the rebounding is awesome but sometimes he kind of looks like a bull in a china shop when he gets an offensive rebound like he'll go up crazy and a lot of these layup attempts haven't even been close so he just needs to settle down right now get his feet and I hope that in the future he, he does improve. So the, the first negative we kind of hit on it, the injury bug. And just to elaborate on that, so it's Boogie right now, Kobe Johnson, Bronny, Vince is back, but he's still banged up. So we've talked about it. But Andy Enfield said after the UC Irvine game, this was our worst week of practice by a mile, and we're just not practicing well right now. I think, of course, that's to be expected when you have some guys out. But on the flip side, I think some of these reserve guys and some of the people who need to fill bigger roles when Boogie, Kobe, Bronny are out, they just need to be better. And it's tough when you have your best players not available, but in practice, like it's one thing if you're not playing well in a game, but I don't know what the excuse is for not practicing really well, even if you have some guys who you rely on and are huge parts of your program being out. What does that have to do with how the rest of the team practices I, I i think uh there needs to be a way to have it look a little bit better than it does with 
a few of your top guys out. And I think if you look across the country, if you take out the two captains on any team, of course, it's not going to be as good. <laughs> but I, I expected a little bit better in that game. And it was only one game. And if these guys are out for a little bit longer, we'll see against Brown what it looks like potentially if uh, Ellis and Johnson don't return. But you know what I mean a little bit? Like, what's the excuse for not practicing really well because a few guys are out? To, to push back a little bit on that, basketball is a very unique sport. And because there's so few players that, you know, if you lose all your guards, you don't have guards that can now practice against guards in practice. So, you know, USC could go with the lineups they did in the game, but then in practice, like how, you know, who's Oziah Sellers practicing against? Is he running the point for one team and Collier was out? So is you either got to walk on or DJ Rodman is now your point guard on the other, the second team, you know, when you go Cardinal versus gold and practice or whatever. So, and it helps when you have practice players and stuff like that, but you know, it's not the same, obviously. So I, I think that plays a, a big role and you have to modify your practices. USC's had times in the past where they just couldn't practice. You know, like, Hey, we, we only had seven healthy guys. We couldn't go full five on five. So, I mean, you practice, you do practice, but you don't, you can't have your normal practice of where you go five on five and do all these things. So I think that the fact that it was all at one position really hurts too in that regard, because now you can't go ones versus twos or whatever it may be. Uh, So I, I think that is an issue in football. I mean, excuse me, in basketball much more than in any other sport, whereas in football or anything else, you usually, even if it's walk ons or whatever, you got some guy, you got bodies at least. Uh, so I, I think that's a unique issue for basketball when there are some injuries. So it makes it tough to practice and not great though, that you're not getting good practice in because this is the time when you want to be getting good practice. You want to be growing as a team. And then when you play a Irvine, you play a Brown, you know, they should blow out Brown by 30, 40 points, but they need to do that and they need to practice well leading up to it. So they play well. That's the big thing. It's not that you win against Brown. It's how you play. And so that'll be a big thing to watch when they play. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute when, the, when we get to the preview section. Final uh, negative for me was the rebounding issues they've had. Part of it is just guys not being locked into that mindset of, all right, my job in here is to go rebound. Not my job is to score points. That's Isaiah Collier's, that's Boogie Ellis's job. My job is Josh Morgan is to play defense and rebound. Now, Josh Morgan's, uh, I think, Leading the team or second on the team, technically with Kobe, he's got the most rebounds total. Kobe's leading as far as average because he only played one game. But five and a half rebounds for a big that plays 25, 30 minutes a game, it's not great. Now, Josh Morgan's never been a fantastic rebounder, but you want to see a little bit more out of him. And then when those young guys come in behind him, whether it be Arrington Page, whether it be Kajani Wright, whether it be Vince Uichukwu, those guys need to be like, stop worrying about anything else. Your number one priority is to protect the rim on defense and rebound. Rebound, rebound, rebound. There were negative three against Kansas State, which actually it was way different in the first half. I don't remember. I think it was negative 11 in the first half. And then, you know, the, the last two games, they've been positive, they've been plus. You know, I think they've won the rebounding margin in both games, but by two against Bakersfield? Really? Two against Bakersfield? Do you know, you know how many bigs the USC has compared to what Bakersfield has? Did you see the lineup the USC had against UC Irvine? Everyone on the floor was 6'5 or, or bigger, and they won that rebound margin by eight. With how poorly they shot, they should have had even that many more rebounds as well. So they've got to they've got to get in that mindset of my job is to go out there and rebound. And here's Horry does that sometimes. 
Um, but he also doesn't have the athleticism of some of the other guys. So, you know, you need to have that mindset. I'm going to anchor down, I'm going to block out, and then I'll go get a rebound. Um, and that hasn't been the case necessarily. Now, any infield, when you ask him about rebounding, he says, hey, our guards got to be better. He wants the guards to be involved as well, but it starts with the bigs. The bigs have to be better. So the rebounding issues are a concern, especially going forward. And you play some of teams like uh, Gonzaga, who's notoriously good at getting offensive rebounds. And when you get into the Pac-12 play as well. And UC Irvine somehow outscored USC in the paint in that game. Got a little frog in my throat there. That was a big surprise. I agree, shotgun. The rebounding needs to be better with some of these bigs. And just against UC Irvine, who they don't really have that much talent on the interior. Their center scored 19 points. He had a few threes. It wasn't like he was getting anything he wanted on the inside. I, I just expected more, even though USC's limited with some of their big guys offensively. I expected more from them. My final negative, the lack of offensive depth. DJ Rodman and Oziah Sellers going 1-19 of against UC Irvine. That, of course, isn't going to cut it. So I feel bad for Oziah Sellers. He's a guy who, by all accounts, practices really hard and is a great practice player, makes the shots in practice. But how many times have we heard Andy Enfield say after these games, Oziah just needs to make the shots in the games. He makes them in practice, but for whatever reason, he's not making them in the games. And DJ Rodman, it's a little bit unfair to ask him to be a scorer because he wasn't brought here to do that. He was brought here to be a defensive guy and just someone like a glue guy with all the other scorers around him. I did expect a little bit more offensively from him. I think he was one of five against Kansas State, and he had the poor shooting night against UC Irvine, bounced back a little bit against Cal State Bakersfield. In these games where some of your premier offensive players are going to be out, though, you need more from Rodman and Oziah Sellers. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, and Sellers could have been on my positive if it would have been before Tuesday. He had a breakout game against Bakersfield, 16 points, 6 of 9, shooting 2 of 4 from 3. Maybe we can chalk it up to the fact that, hey, he's playing a different position in that Irvine game, being asked to handle the ball a ton, being asked to be the secondary ball handler behind Isaiah Collier. So anytime Collier went to the bench, and again, he's coming off an injury, he's got to get some rest you know, because he hasn't practiced a bunch, so he's not got his conditioning up. So anytime that happened, Sellers became the point guard. That's not his forte. So maybe, you know, I want to see how he bounces back against Brown. Can that be a get-back game for him? It should be for the team, but, uh, you know, a get-right game for for him be like, all right, let's just flush the UC Irvine game, come out and hit it. And sometimes, hey, there's going to be nights when you just can't make shots. And it was unfortunate because you watch a lot of those shots and it's in and out or – you know, it seemed like it was, looked really good, and then suddenly it comes out. And you, th- you think, oh, if one of those goes down, you know, when a shooter gets on a roll and they see one of them go down, they can get on a roll quickly. So we'll see how he bounces back. Uh, but, yeah, they definitely need those guys to be that those tertiary scorers, you know, guys that can sit in the corner and do that. And that was the case. Ozias Sellers and DJ Robin both had plenty of, uh, you know, opportunities where they're just spotted up. Isaiah Collier or someone else finds them. Um, and they just didn't make those shots. So those shots are the ones that got to be knocked down. If USC wants to be a contender in the Pac-12 and wants to be taken seriously on the national uh, landscape this season, someone has to make those knockdown, those those wide-open shots. It's the biggest difference between college and the NBA. In the NBA, those go down 80% of the time. In college, they go down 30 to 35, even though they should be 50% at least on those wide open shots. So we'll see you know, if USC can find that person to be able to live up to their expectations. Let's take a look at the recruiting classes. We said we talk about it. We got to talk about it, especially this women's class, five woman class coming in. Now USC signed three on the first day of the early signing period in basketball. It comes in November uh, and they signed Ryan Forestier, 
from Texas, Laura Williams from Virginia, and Avery Howell from Idaho, kind of going all over the country to find them. But then, a couple days later, Saturday, before the, the football game, everyone's hyped about the football game, excited about that. Bigger news comes out Saturday on the women's basketball side. They get five-star commitment from Kaylee Heckle. What, an hour later maybe? Another five-star commitment. And, you know, USC just continues to add to this class, Lindsey Gottlieb, bringing in five players, all with a versatile set, as we talked about with her, bringing in Kennedy Smith, getting her to stay home in California is the biggest one, the final piece of that puzzle, or is it? You know, there's still some other recruits out there that USC is looking at. Don't know that if they're they're settling with five um, or if they're still looking at maybe Vincy Wichuku's little sister, you know, out of uh, Florida. Mount Verde Academy, I believe, is where she's at. She's still on the board. So could potentially add even more to this class. Now, the question will then become the roster spots and everything else. But, Connor, looking at this five-woman class, what stands out to you about this group? It just looks like a complete group to me, Shotgun, and part of the – really genius of Lindsay Gottlieb going and bringing in those Ivy league grad transfers is that they're going to be one and done. So you have a lot of space next year and we'll get into figuring out how everything works in the future. But I mean, Kennedy Smith is a fantastic wing. We've talked about it a little bit. Her and Juju Watkins had some epic high school battles. The fact that they're now on the same team heading into next season, if everything goes according to plan, that's awesome. And then Kaylee Heckle, I feel like that was kind of the missing piece for USC, who was going to be the distributor, the point guard, someone to run the show. We know Juju can do it, but Kaylee Heckel, I think, will allow Juju to move off the ball and, and just allow USC to do a lot more. So Rhea Marshall should be back too. So it just looks to me like this recruiting class for the women's shotgun, it makes USC a complete team next season, and that's really exciting. Yeah, and you, you look at it, there's still, like I said, there's still a couple of people, uh, pieces on the board in the top 100, but Kenny Smith coming in at six overall, Kaylee Heckel at, um, at 28, Avery Howe, also a five-star player at number 23 overall. This is all from the ESPN Hoop Girls recruiting rankings, their top 100. They do the best job as far as that. Unfortunately, 24-7 does not have her own rankings, so we'll use theirs. Uh, Ryan Forcier. Uh, is a four-star, uh, number 53 overall in the class, out of Brandis uh, in, in high school in Texas. Her mom played, um, I believe, at Texas. I know her mom played uh, at a couple different spots um, in the 90s, I want to say. Uh, so she comes from good lineage. Laura Williams also has some strong athletic genetics with her father, Doug Williams, being a former NFL quarterback and obviously the Super Bowl MVP as well. So five top 100 players. And – the only thing you can look at with this class, uh, or, or the biggest thing you look at with this class, I think, is the versatility. As we mentioned, uh, they all can do a little bit of everything. It's not like it's just, hey, you got a shooter. And, hey, you need shooters. That's important. Hey, you got a big post that can bang and rebound. No, they got a little bit of everything in the class, well-rounded class, too. So that really stands out to me. Uh, with Kennedy Smith, you've seen her play going up against Juju Watkins. Give us a little insight into her game. Obviously, the big one staying home for USC, another top 10 player from the state of California staying at USC, really huge, as Lindsey Gottlieb mentioned as well. She's just fearless. And when Juju was a senior at Sierra Canyon, they were undefeated, and then Etiwana beat him in the state playoffs to give him their only loss on the year. A lot of teams would go up against Juju and Sierra Canyon, and before the ball was tipped, the game would be over just because they'd be – in awe of Sierra Canyon, who 
not only had Juju, but a bunch of great teams. Etiwanda was always, always fearless when they played Sierra Canyon, and they had some epic, epic battles. That state playoff game certainly comes to mind when Kennedy Smith just put the Eagles on her back. So the talent is obvious. She's versatile as a wing player. She can go inside, also a good shooter, but just you need people if you want to compete at the highest level who just aren't afraid and aren't going to cower in the big moments. And Kennedy Smith is a player to me who say she has a bad first half. I'd bank on her turning it around and having a good second half. The moment has never been too big for her in high school. And I think that's going to continue as a college player. Yeah. And the the quote that, that Lindsay Gottlieb gave in the press release, they had that Kennedy is the full package, defensive tenacity, offensive skill, size, athleticism. And that's one thing that stands out about Juju Watkins as well is it's not just, and this was actually uh, you know, a, a paraphrasing of what the Ohio State coach said after the game. It's it's not that she can shoot. It's not that she is has size. It's that she has size and athleticism, has handles, and can shoot. <laughs> so it's the full package. Um, and that's, like we said, you know, a versatile group. Um, I really like Avery Howell watching her highlights. I haven't seen her play in person, but – yeah, the the biggest thing looks like her toughness. Yeah, she's from Idaho. She better be tough, right? Um, so she's a tremendous competitor, as what Lindsay Godley says about her. She exudes toughness and a winning mentality every time she steps on the court. She can rebound, she can shoot threes, you know, she can do a little bit of everything for you, like I said. And then you you mentioned Kaylee Heckle. She's got the handles, you know, that's the biggest thing that stands out from her highlights, you know, the behind the backs, the between the legs, the crossovers. She can, you know, put the ball on the court uh, on the floor and go by people. Let's jump over to the men's side. Now, they signed a class of three um, with local uh, six, what was it, 6'4 guard Trent Perry from Harvard-Westlake with Liam Campbell out of uh, 6'5, 195 guard from originally from Northridge but plays in Idaho. So USC actually gets the number one player. Last year they got the number one player in the nation um, on the men's and women's side. This year they specified in Idaho. We'll get the number one player in Idaho on the men and women's side. A little bit of a downgrade there, but still great classes here for both. Um, and then you, you add Liam Campbell from Idaho and then Brody Kozlowski from Utah, which is an interesting one. He's the, the most recent commit to the class, but I believe both his parents played at BYU. So for him to decide that he's going to go out of state, out of Utah, you know, Utah was in the mix. BYU was in the mix for him to come to USC six seven two twenty. So, uh, you know, these three guys. What kind of stands out uh, about this group that USC is bringing in on the men's side? Well, first of all, I've probably seen Trent Perry play twenty or twenty five <laughs> games at, at Harvard Westlake, so I, I'm very familiar with him. He isn't as flashy as Isaiah Collier, but he's so so solid, so so steady as a point guard. He was a guy who. I make the move from covering high school sports to jumping over to USC. He was a guy I kind of secretly hoped that USC would get. You never want to root for players to do anything, but just watching him so much, so in control, so smart. His high school coach, David Rabibo does an excellent job. It, it's a guy who who's ready for the college level. And if Isaiah Collier is one and done, he's a player that Andy Enfield, I think is going to be really happy just to give the point guard duties to. And it'll be a little bit of an adjustment. Perry's not as polished maybe, and not, and not just, like the skill and, and the eye-popping ability isn't quite there like Isaiah Collier, but he's so solid and, and steady, and I think he'll be a day-one point guard starter for USC. Liam Campbell's a guy who I got to watch a little bit, the classic at Damian, too, even though he plays high school basketball in Idaho. He actually started at Harvard-Westlake, too, and he's a really good athlete. Good shooter, but the athleticism for a shooting guard really stands out to me. He's throwing down some crazy slams in these games, and people would – come to watch this team from Idaho and then be like, okay, 
they won't be able to stand up to some of these Southern California teams. But every time Owehi would play some of the premier teams in Southern California, Campbell and his teammates, they would compete. They would win a lot of those games. They fit right in. So I, I think Liam Campbell's another guy who it might be a little bit of an adjustment, him coming from the high school ranks to college, but I think he's going to fit right in and have a role as well. I'm not too familiar with Kozlowski shotgun. I think as six foot seven, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Harrison Hornery and, maybe a little bit more of an athletic Harrison Hornery just based on watching his film. So he's someone who I'm not as familiar with, but I'm excited to see Trent Perry and Liam Campbell though. They get the stamp of approval for me. They've been awesome every time I've seen him play. Now I was wondering how to pronounce Liam Campbell's high school. And if it is a as you just mentioned, what a name I'm all yeah. about it. <laughs> like every, that would be my call. If I was the the broadcaster for every three, he shoots from downtown. Oh, <laughs> just every single one. It'd be fantastic. I uh, know Liam Campbell, like you said, athletic can shoot. Same thing with Kozlowski can shoot the outside shot, even though he's a guy that averaged 17 and 12 rebounds um, for, for his team, corner Canyon, corner Canyon, USC fans should be a little bit familiar with. That's where Jackson dark came from. Um, but, you know, I think the most interesting thing in this group is that these are three multiple year players. So Isaiah Collier's coming in. He's one and done. We know that. The rest of the class that USC brought in, Aaron Tepage, uh, Brandon Gardner, those guys are multi-year guys. So, you know, you're adding to this class now, which makes it interesting is how will USC kind of uh, fill the roster out as they go? You know, obviously, Boogie Ellis is going to be exiting after this year. And can they add another piece? Because ideally – I think the way that they have kind of set up their rosters in the past is they would like to get the top in talent, potentially a one and done guy, and then a couple of multi-year guys at the same time in each recruiting class. So can USC go out and get that potential one and done guy being most likely Zoom Diallo, the point guard, because this class is not finished. USC still in the market. Um, now, Victorious Miller, uh, the nephew of Master P, the cousin of Romeo Miller, former USC basketball player, committed to Oregon last night. USC kind of pulled out of that mix uh, a couple weeks ago, I was told. Um, but they're still in the market for a couple of players, and we'll see if they can close with someone like Zoom Diallo, who would be a tremendous addition because I think he could be the guy that you hand the point guard duties to next year and let Trent Perry be the secondary guy, the guy coming off the bench in a similar way that they were trying to use Kyle Sturdivant when he was at USC. Unfortunately, with the incident with his dad passing away, ended up going back to Georgia. The same thing with Elijah Weaver. Try to bring along these guys who may not be ready to be your starting point guard and be an impact player immediately, but if you can bring them along and give them the opportunity to be the backup and learn and grow, then maybe the next year or two years down the road, whenever Zoom Diallo leaves, then he takes over there. So uh, that would be the icing on the cake for this class. Another top 10 class for Andy Enfield. Um, so, you know, uh, the 10th consecutive top 30 class. I mean, having covered the Kevin O'Neill days, like I said, that is just eye popping. Uh, Andy Enfield has been so consistent with the recruiting, uh, ranked number 10 right now in our rankings. And we'll see if that if they can bump up a little bit, if they can add one or two more pieces. Zoom Diallo would certainly be the plug and play point guard. You mentioned Trent Perry developing a little bit. I, I think he's good enough to come in and, and play point guard right away if Diallo doesn't end up coming to USC. If he does, that's a huge bonus. And he, of course, as a five star talent, he would get 
that point guard job right away, assuming Isaiah Collier moves on. So that would be, you're right, Chuck, and that would sort of be the marquee piece. They don't really have that five-star, can't-miss talent right now. If Zoom Diallo comes in, he's that guy. And then I think Trent Perry could play a little shooting guard. And then if there are some injuries, Ozias Sellers, we saw him have to handle the point guard role against UC Irvine. You have a guy in Trent Perry, if people are banged up, who could come in and you're really comfortable with him running the point. Because coming from a school like Harvard-Westlake, they prepare you really better than most high school programs do mm-hmm. nationally because they play such a loaded schedule and Trent Perry's going up against college ready guards pretty much week in and week out. And so if, if it is zoom Diallo, that's great. But I, I do think Perry has a really solid chance to, to be an impact freshman if it comes to that. And, and if, if they're both ready, go with the two guard system. I mean, it's what USC started with, with uh, Julian Jacobs, the original Juju on the basketball court for USC and Jordan McLaughlin when they were together. So, I mean, Andy Enfield would love that. And as we saw from the women, as, you know, Lindsay Gottlieb mentioned, when you have multiple people that can bring the ball up, it just changes what defenses can try to do against you. It just negates so much. So that would be even better. So, and and again, that will all depend on Ozias Sellers' development as a shooting guard. You know, it, it depends on what Liam Campbell, uh, Kozlowski, when they bring, what they bring into the table. You know, so there'll be a lot of moving pieces, but we'll see if USC can get Zoom Diallo to even make that uh, decision that will have to be made. We'll see what happens there. Obviously, USC will lose their two primary ball handlers in uh, Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis. So getting uh, Trent Perry is a huge addition there because you need to have at least someone to fill in that void. Um, and, you know, this gives them an opportunity, and we'll see maybe Bronny James is a guy that runs the point a little bit next year. Um, you know, maybe it's someone else that's not on the roster that's a grad transfer. You know, the, the, a lot of moving pieces always with these, but great three-man class so far for USC men, and we'll see what they can do going forward. Let's move into where they stand. Real quick glimpse uh, of where the teams are. Obviously, 3-0 and for the women, 2-1 and for the men. The women are number 10 in the nation, one of five top Pac-12 teams, as we mentioned. Um, we talked about the the men being number 16 in the nation. However, they're probably going to drop down You know, after losing to Irvine. We'll see how far they slide, but depend on some of the other teams and stuff. Stat-wise, nothing really stands out for either team. They're not in the top 10 necessarily outside of Juju's scoring numbers and stuff. But uh, I, I thought it was interesting, the women, one stat that I wanted to point out, they're number 17 in field goal percentage right now. They're shooting 51%. That is a that's a pretty impressive number, which tells you one that Juju makes a lot of shots. You know, step backs, mid-range, all that type of stuff, shooting six of eight on threes. That's just different. But also that they're getting easy looks a lot of times. Now, one of those games was LeMoyne. You won by 51 points. They got a ton of fast break points, different things. But that was uh, one of the stats that definitely stood out to me. Uh, anything that stood out to you, Connor? You expect Ray Marshall to have the high field goal percentage being an interior player. But yeah, the, the juju numbers, that is certainly really reassuring and, and really good to see. I, I kind of echo what you say. Nothing major stands out to me. I just want to see the women shoot their foul shots a little bit better. That would be my big thing but hey i'm nitpicking a three and O team that's number 10 in the country so they're clearly doing something right yeah currently ranked 298th in the nation out of 348 teams so got to get better with that on the men's side uh the stats that kind of stand out are the free throw percentage on the exact opposite of the women usc is shooting 80.6 percent from the free throw line that's 28th in the nation second best in the pac-12 and opposite of the women as well a little bit usc's three-point percentage is Atrocious. They're shooting 27.4%. That's 
292 out of 351 men's teams. So, uh, you know, definitely got to shoot better from the outside for the men and shoot better from the free throw line for the women. You know, shooting is is what ultimately determines everything. For the men, you just have to hope the UC Irvine game was an outlier. No one else hit a three besides Harrison Horner. He had the four threes on nine attempts, and then everyone else was over. So even with some of the injuries, if you had told me only one guy was going to make a three this game before that game tipped, I'd say, okay, like they're probably not going to win. That seems sort of crazy. So just got to flush that one and move on. Another uh, thing that USC's men have to clean up is the turnovers. Turnover margin right now, they're negative. Uh, so, you know, ranked in the 250s, not good enough. Got to get better. Part of that's on Collier, um, and that part of it's on guys catching Collier's passes. Moving on to the preview section, looking at what is coming up this week. Now, we're dropping this podcast on Thursday. It's kind of an interesting timing. Um, the, there's no actual games this weekend for the women because they are headed to the Bahamas this weekend. They're going to head to the Bahamas to play in the Baja Mar Pink Flamingo Championship Tournament. That's a that's a very long t- tournament name there. Uh, they'll play Monday against Seton Hall, who's three and one. They'll play Wednesday against Penn State, who's three and zero oh, with an average margin of victory of forty points. So it's a little bit of a different challenge, you know, that rather than Lemoyne. Uh, but you know, looking forward to next week, what do you think uh, of the women going women of Troy going all the way to the Bahamas to to get some more games in? It's different than Vegas. So that first game, it was encouraging to see USC play so well against such a good opponent, not on the Galen Center floor. So they've sort of proven that they can do it. But this, of course, going to the Bahamas, that's a different beast. I don't think Seton Hall uh, gives that much of a challenge. Penn State, they were 14 and 17 last year, and they did really well in the non-conference and then really struggled in Big Ten play. So they look better right now. I think they're going to give USC more of a challenge than Seton Hall did. But to me, this is just all about continuing to prove that you're a top 10 team, go on the road to a neutral site, enjoy the vacation, of course, but take care of business. These are two teams USC should beat, in my opinion. Yeah, both teams have good records, but neither team has really beaten anyone. Um, Penn State plays at St. John's tonight. We should point that out. So, you know, by the time you listen to this, they may be 3-1, and one, they may be 4-0. and oh. um, Seton Hall, they lost to Caitlin Davis's old squad, Columbia. They're coming off a win over in-state rival Rutgers, though. They were 19 to 15 last year, solid record, not great, not terrible, but they lost both their leading scorers, Lauren Park Lane and Sydney Cooks. Three-point specialist Micah Gray leads the team uh, averaging 16 points per game. She's making 51% or 52% of her three-point shots, so keep an eye on her. And then also uh, they have a 5'9 guard, Amari Wright, who leads the team in assists and steals. So you know she's going to get up and, and play some tough de- defense. Let's see how Juju Watkins kind of handles that. And then Penn State, a player to watch. 5'11 guard McKenna Marissa is a preseason All-Big Ten uh, player. She's averaging 21.3 points and leads the team in assists as well. They've got four players that are averaging 10 assists, but that's also because, you know, they've blown out multiple teams. They won one game by like 70 points. Uh, So we'll see how they do. And this is a future Big Ten conference, though. So first chance to kind of get, okay, kind of feel everyone out. And, hey, Penn State, you're going to see Juju in the future. Get ready for it. Yeah, uh, that – 21 point, uh, points per game for McKenna Marissa. Impressive, but 28 points per game for, for Juju Watkins and USC. So <laughs> it just seems like they have a little bit more and, yeah, get used to playing this Big Ten foe. I mean, it's too bad about the Pac-12, man. We've talked about this on and on and on, but the Women's Basketball League this year in the Pac-12 is so, so talented, and then poof, it's going to be gone. 
then after that, USC, the USC women will return to Southern California for their next nine games. Now, one of those is at UCLA, one of them's at Long Beach, uh, but you know, they're going to be home basically the entire for the next month or so. So take care of business in the Bahamas and then you can come home and just start adding to it. And, you know, that's how you get on a run early in the season leading into conference play. We'll see if they can do that. That starts on Monday for the Baja Mar Pink Flamingo Championship. <laughs> just get all that out. Uh, the men's basketball team will play Lindsey Gottlieb's alma mater. You know, they'll play Brown on Sunday, 5 p.m. at the Galen Center. Get out there and check it out. Should be should be a win. Should be a get-right game. Should be some exciting highlights for USC. You know, uh, Brown has played some close games. They lost by two to Colgate. They lost in overtime by two, but that was to Loyola. But that's not Loyola Chicago. You know, the team that's been, you know, with Sister Jean, been making runs. That's Loyola Maryland, which I didn't even know there was one. I know there's Loyola Marymount in California, but no. And then they lost by 18 to New at New Hampshire. They're going to play Division Three Rhode Island College, the Anchorman. Get excited for that mascot tonight. Uh, so they may be one and three by then. They should be able to beat a D3 team. We'll see. They have two key players to, to really note. Uh, Nana Awusu Anane has three double-doubles. He's averaging 19.3 points and 11.3 rebounds. And then Kino Lilly Jr. is their three-point shooter. He's averaging 16 points. He's like eighth on their all-time career list for three-pointers made. So inside-outside little combination there. But that's pretty much it for Brown. And no, and I, I think uh, Awusu Anane is undersized for big, if I remember correctly. Um, they were 14-13 last year. Like I said, starting out 0-3. This is a get-right game. What do you want to see from the Trojans in this game? Shots made. Uh, that's the big thing. The three-point shots <laughs> against yeah, UC Irvine, that just wasn't good enough. I was surprised Brown lost by so many points to New Hampshire because they only lost by two to Colgate. Colgate's actually a decent team. New Hampshire – they're okay, but losing by 18 to that, it's just they're 0 3. That they are what they are. That they're not very good. And yeah, so I want to see USC make more shots. And then I just want to see on the interior, interior, whether it's Josh Morgan, Kajani Wright, Vinci Wachuku, Arrington Page, whoever it is down there, can they just be a little bit more in control? Grab the rebounds. If they get an offensive rebound, just go back up with it nice and easy. Like I feel like sometimes they get these rebounds and it's a problem for everyone. They just kind of go up with no plan. And a lot of times the second chance points that they're not even close. Some of the shots. So I would just like to see a bounce back performance from the bigs. And I want to see more three point uh, shots fall. Yeah. I mentioned the women's basketball. They acted like a top 10 team. Can the USC men follow suit and act like a top 20 team um, against a Brown team that they should destroy? You go out there and you know, if you, can you put up a score similar to the Lemoyne game for the women? That'd be great to see because, and, for them to be healthy to do that. Uh, so that that's going to wrap it up for the show. Connor, any final thoughts for you in our debut edition of the triple double podcast? My final thought is what an exciting time it is for basketball at USC. Who says it's a football school, both teams ranked in the top 25 men and the women. And I'm just thinking shocking. It's November 16th. Both of these teams should be playing March madness, of course, and hopefully we'll win a few games. So this podcast, we got a long shelf life, baby. This thing could be going on for a while. <laughs> Yeah, I've already started mapping out my schedule for January, February, March uh, of potential trips and whatnot. Um, but we're going to be here for the entire ride, Connor and I as well. That's going to wrap it up for this debut edition, though. The USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. 
I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to Lindsey Gottlieb for joining us, being our debut guest, as well as my co-host, Connor Morissette, and to all you guys for listening, taking the time. We really appreciate it. Please like, share, subscribe. Leave us that five-star review in your podcast listening platform. Send us any feedback, comments, or questions you have at podcast at uscfootball.com. And I hope you'll be able to join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast.